The Old Testament reading for today, the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, is from the prophet Isaiah, 44th chapter, beginning in verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. The epistle for today is from Paul's letter to the Romans, the 8th chapter, beginning in the 18th verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. 
and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Maybe see. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that I want us to consider today is the epistle reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and especially these words. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul says in his letter here that the entire creation is in bondage, is in bondage to decay, that it's spiraling downward, that it's coming apart at the seams. And it wasn't created that way, obviously, but it's been put into bondage, been subjected to decay by its creator, by God. And Paul says that the creation itself is groaning. The creation knows that it has been subjected to futility. The rocks, the trees, the mountains, the animals, in some ways, somehow, even the inanimate objects are more in tune with the reality of sin than is the entire human race. That entire human race thinks that it can ignore the truth of God's word, that it can ignore the truth of God, that it can make its own reality. And in our wisdom, in our great intelligence, we declare that there is no God, that the beauty uh, of the form of the flowers and the trees and the animals, that it all just came to be. That the beauty of function, of the parts of our body, of our 
our eyes and everything that goes into our seeing, our ears and all the parts that have to work together so that we can hear, the, the ligaments and muscles and the joints that are so well made so that we can do so many things, that all of this is just a random accident. That's what humanity in its wisdom has come to say instead of giving credit to God. And so Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. But no matter how hard we try to fool ourselves, we can't escape the reality of the fall. Albert Einstein once said, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. For all of our false wisdom, fallen humanity is only fooling itself, not the rocks or the trees or the mountains or any other part of creation. But we who have been given faith in God, we have also been given the gift of knowledge through His Word. Because we know the truth. We know that man is not ascending. He's not climbing the evolutionary ladder. God's revelation through his scriptures has revealed to us the true history of the human race. And his word has made clear our perilous fall from perfection. God's word explains why we see decay and deprivation and travesties and turmoil in the creation around us. Why there's greed, why there's hatred, why we covet what other people have, why we're not satisfied with our own lives. The descent of man into sin and the resulting brokenness of creation explains disease and famine and war, poverty, selfishness and pride. We read the words of the Apostle and we're not surprised to hear that the creation is in bondage to decay, that it is groaning under the weight of sin. And not only creation, Paul says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so we put away money for retirement and we hope and we dream and then something shows up like a dark patch on the x-ray and our heart catches in our throat and the hopes and dreams of our future take a sudden turn down a dark valley and our spirits grow. We watch in stunned silence as our society continues to jettison values throw them overboard, values of family and life, truth, marriage, even maleness and femaleness as God created them. Values that are taught, that are espoused by the scriptures. Throwing them over for some imagined paradise of sameness and inclusivity and personal truth. As we witness the loss of biblical values, we feel paralyzed, we feel helpless, and our spirits groan. 
We see the sin in the world around us, but we see the sin within us too. We want others to be kind and forgiving to one another, especially to us. And yet we recognize in ourselves the same selfishness, the same propensity to judge others, the same inability to really forgive that person who has hurt us. And as we recognize that sin in us, our spirits groan. A friendship, maybe with a family member, goes south. Try as we might to repair the breach, we realize that things may never be the same again. And our spirits grow. Or there's a death. Someone close to us, a family member dies, someone we loved, and there's that emptiness, there's that great hole within us that we know will never be filled again, and our spirits groan. And maybe your spirit has groaned like that, or is even groaning now. And maybe you've always considered yourself to be a strong person, but in moments like these you've grappled with the consequences of a fallen world. Your spirit is groaning. And maybe then it becomes crystal clear just how weak, how helpless we really are. And maybe sometimes when the pain is strongest and when the tears won't stop flowing, maybe you've even found that you don't have the words to pray. You want to pray. You want to ask God for a miracle, for Him to intervene in this situation, for Him to restore that relationship, or maybe just to forgive your sin, but the words that you want to speak are buried somewhere down inside of you, under the despair, under the suffocating fear, buried beneath the hurt, buried beneath the tears. And so the Apostle Paul writes to you today, writes to me today, he writes to Christians who are suffering in this world that is bound to decay. And he writes to remind us that we have hope. And not the, the hope that says, I hope the Broncos get their act together. Or I hope the weather cools down. That sort of hope is based on the unknown. It's based on hoping against the odds. The hope that Paul is talking about is a sure thing. It's based in fact, in history. It's based in what is known. The hope that Paul is encouraging us with today is something that is rock solid, something that is ours, something that we're waiting with patience for, Paul says. And that reminds me of Jeremiah's words. Jeremiah speaks God's words and, and says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And what is this hope? What does Paul say here in this letter is this hope that we're talking about? It is the redemption of our bodies. It is the promise that this decaying life has been redeemed by God through the blood of Christ. It is the sure and certain hope of a greater life, an eternal life, one for us by 
the suffering servant of Isaiah, the Savior promised in Genesis, the Jesus of the apostles, the one being preached and professed and persecuted in Acts, the Son of God whose return to judge the earth to take his own to himself is foretold in Revelation. It is the promise of a new creation, a creation not bound to decay, a new body, new flesh that is not mortal, that is not corrupt, not sinful, flesh that is not dying. This is our sure and certain hope that Jesus Christ died to redeem us from sin, from death, and from the devil. This is our sure and certain hope that the blood of Christ covers every one of our sins. This is our sure and certain hope that in baptism there is a new creature in us, born of water and the Word, living inside of us. That we have been given the promised gift of the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus did not leave us alone to wrestle with this fallen world, with our own fallen human flesh, but he has given us the comforter, the spirit of truth. And so Paul says in our text, likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for you according to God's will. Those are the best prayers that there can be. The Holy Spirit praying on your behalf to God the Father in accord with His will. That word comforter is a special word. I know we've looked at it before. It's the Greek word paraclete. And it means one that is called to your side to be a help to you. Like a lawyer, it's, a, it's kind of a legal term, like a lawyer that comes and sits with you and pleads your case for you. This is the Holy Spirit. He is your paraclete. That Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, dwells in his baptized children. And so we have this beautiful picture God's people bound by their corrupted flesh to this creation that's in bondage to decay, beset by all sorts of manifestations of the fall, the brokenness of the world, the sinfulness of our flesh, driving us to our knees beneath a load of grief and pain and suffering, groaning inwardly and not always knowing how to pray. That's the picture that Paul paints for us here in this letter. But with God's people, dwelling in each of them, is God himself, the third person 
of that Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is intimately aware of your condition, my condition. Intimately aware of our groanings, our sighings. Your shortcomings, your failings, the new man's desire to do good and to please God, your weakness and your inability according to the flesh to carry it out. The Holy Spirit is intimately aware of all of that. Creation groans and your spirit groans and the Holy Spirit within you groans too, Paul says. But on your behalf, the Holy Spirit in you is communicating with God the Father, is interceding for you, is praying for you. He's not praying that you have an easy life. Rather, he's praying that the will of the Almighty God would be done. And this may be a hard road. It may involve suffering. But Paul reminds us that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so we wait patiently in sure and certain hope for what has been promised. And that Holy Spirit within us is our guarantee. And the Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit in you is active. He's praying for you, praying for mercy, for forgiveness. He's praying for peace for you, for understanding, praying that your faith would be strengthened, that your fallen spirits would be comforted, praying that you would be standing on solid rock for your gaze always and only to be on Jesus Christ, crucified for you, risen from the dead, the one who has gone before you, the one who is coming again, your brother, your savior, your king. May the peace of God, which passes all unearthly understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that you may await patiently deliverance from all of your sufferings, if not in this life, then in the blessed life to come. Amen.